Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Cleveland to speak with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs about the Kevin Love situation, his displeasure with the organization and what it means for the future. We also go to Brooklyn to speak with Josh Bass of Locked On Nets about Kyrie Irving's recent press conference about his injured shoulder. And lastly, we go to Orlando to speak with Philip Rossman-Reich of Locked On Magic about the Jonathan Isaac injury situation and what that means for this team and their push for the playoffs this season. It's all coming up. The biggest stories, the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We are looking at some uh, interesting injury situations, partial trade requests or displeasure amongst stars in the Eastern Conference. So let's get to it. Now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. Chris Manning is here with me. Chris, Kevin Love uh, causing waves, causing tension, posting cryptic Instagram posts, and now he is going to be resting Sunday's game. What is going on with Kevin Love? You know, I I think we're at the end here. Um, I think, you know, I I was tweeting about this the other day, but I I really think with where we're at in the Kevin Love-Cavs kind of relationship, I think it's just kind of at its, it's reached its end. Um, You know, I don't think he likes playing with Colin Sexton. I think everyone has seen the clips of him from these last couple games that have gone viral where, like, you know, he slams the, you know, slams the hand in Toronto on on a CT, um, you know, last night, like, was very enraged when not getting a post up and like came out, grabbed, got the ball from Sexton and like just immediately chucked it account at uh, Jetty Osmond on the wing at the end of the first half. Like it's just kind of a, a broken thing. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I think the organization, I think like there's something to be said that he could be more of the adult in the room here. Um, you know, I don't think like Channing Fry, who's a very good friend of his going on Twitter and kind of like airing a lot of dirty laundry in some ways was the most helpful thing in the world. But um, I, I, I think that this is just a relationship that is, that has come broken. It's made me wonder if like, the, the contract extension maybe would have just, even though I get why Kevin does it, I get why the Cavs did I wonder if it would have been better for everyone just not not to do that. Yeah, well, the, the sticking point seems to be is that at that time of that uh, contract extension that Love was told that the team would look to still compete for the playoffs and he was, okay, I'm ready for this. LeBron's gone, but let's sign this deal and let's just keep working for the next couple of years and then every move since then, the front office has basically gone in the other direction and I think he's disliked that uh, and what he perceives from what I understand is a lack of transparency or dishonesty in that direction, which may have made him have second thoughts about signing that contract. You know, he probably would have signed it anyway because it was a lot of money, but yeah, that was the impression that he seemed to be under uh, at that stage. Um, in terms of getting you know, Kevin Love out of there, it does appear like we've got you know, five weeks here until the trade deadline that he's going to be gone uh, at some point this season. But what sort of package should the Cavs be expecting or what would be a good idea or good deal for them to get back 
So I, I think the package for love is interesting because I think it has changed from where it would have been a year ago. I, you know, I even said some of the stuff that's been out there by like, I mean, frankly, much more touch media people than me, um, where it was like a young player and a pick and like an expiring salary was like not enough. But I think if the, let's say Portland comes calling tomorrow and they're like, Hey, we'll give you Zach Collins up or some kind of future pick or two seconds or something. And, and has high white sides contract a match. Like I think, that's probably what you're getting. Um, I don't know, considering the money and considering, you know, his injury history, which I think plays a bit, I think that is an underrated part of all of this is him getting hurt last year. Um, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that has fallen out of that. And I think his trade value kind of going down is one of them. So I think if you could get an interesting young player, you know, a, an expiring salary, so you could still have some flexibility going forward and you, and you get some kind of pick compensation. I think that's what you're looking for. I don't think you're going to, I think my, I've been telling people this, I think, when this deal, when some kind of trade happens, I think the Cavs, people that are Cavs fans will look at this and say, you know what, this is underwhelming. And they're going to be like, huh, that's all you got for Kevin Love. I, I think that's just the reality of what the situation is right now. Look, Kevin Love's good still. We know that. He can still be a contributing factor on a court. And he'll probably perform better in a situation where he is uh, you know, competing for wins and with better players around him. But this is a guy who's 31 years of age already, who, as you said, has had multiple injury issues over the, over the years. Yeah, now, look, he's, he played 22 games last year, 59 the year before that, and 60 the year before that. So hardly a, a, any sort of picture of health during that time. But... Yeah, we shouldn't be expecting huge amounts of return. We're not talking Paul George, Russell Westbrook type of trade uh, returns here for someone like Kevin Love. Um, so yeah, it's sort of anything back to, it's more about getting off that contract, in fact, as well, and getting you know, some smaller type assets returning for uh, for this team rather than huge hauls of multiple first-round picks. I think that's a, an unrealistic expectation for the Cavs or any Cavs fans uh, to be having in this sort of a scenario. But let's move on to some of these other players. And we've heard this multiple times throughout the one and a half seasons that he's been a member of the Cavs and the players don't like playing with Colin Sexton. How true is this? Should it be true? And why is it true? Well, Kevin loves Instagram. Will tell you that, uh, you know, he loves his teammates. But I don't think I think if you watch the games and you watch just how Sexton plays and how the Cavs play, I do think there is genuine frustration. And I, you know, I, I don't think it's just with him. I think it's with Garland to a lesser degree because Garland does pass more. But Colin Sexton is a guy that he plays really fast. I think there's a lot of stuff he does really well. But you look at how he plays. He doesn't move the ball. He doesn't really set guys up. He misses guys that are open quite a bit. Um, that if I'm Kevin Love, I think I'd be very infuriated by that. And I, I don't, you know, I, again, I don't think like him taking it so public in the way he's done that with his body language is the best way to do it. I get that he's frustrated. Um, you know, maybe Sexton's just, you know, hard to kind of get through to to some degree, but I, I think I, I can empathize with Kevin Love and him just being frustrated because it's just like, what, what is, what, why am I? You know, I, the, the Cavs could be better. Basically, I think if Sexton was a better passer, you know, was seeing guys open a bit more, passing guys open a bit more. If that was something he could do, um, you know, I, I think that would be that would make the team a little better. Like I, I thought a lot about, like, and especially because they just played the Thunder. You know, if they have Shea Gilders Alexander instead of Sexton, and they still take Garland. And I wonder how much better off and how more functional this group is because that guy has a, the kind of a skill set that would kind of make this all mesh together. But more sex and skill set just isn't that. He can still be a good player. I think he does a lot. Again, I think he does a lot of things well. But what he is, 
I think it's particularly a weird fit on with the rest of the roster and with veterans that are trying to do you know, kind of kind of can, can you compete in some way and want to still be kind of feature points when they, and they probably should be but Texan doesn't really allow for that. It's not what he does. He's averaging just under 19 points per game this season, which is really strong for a second-year guy, no doubt. True shooting at 53%, which is a little bit below uh, league average, but he generates no assists. He doesn't rebound the ball. He's got a very, very low three-point volume. Like, there's so many things that lack in his game. You feel like that his best role is something along the lines of a Jordan Clarkson scoring sixth-man guy at some point in his career, but the, the Cavs are trying to shoehorn him into a larger role, and that's causing problems as he tries to develop his game uh, in the league. Now, one other thing before we go, Chris, the two rookies on this team that we've seen play so far, the two first-rounders, uh, yeah, two first-rounders, the other one, Dylan Windler hasn't played yet, Kevin Porter and Darius Garland. How have we uh, seen the, the performance of those two guys so far this season? I think Garland's gotten better um, to start with the guy who's picked higher. I think he's become a better passer. I think his three-point shot's coming along. He's figuring out the game. Um, in, a, I think, a pretty notable way. I just think he's a completely kind of different player than he was at the beginning of the year. I, again, I think everything he does has just gotten better, and I think his passing in particular has really, to me, stood out as something that he's become much more comfortable with. Um, he's been really fun, and I, I think he's a fun player who's got a, who is showing some stuff that it should have you very encouraged. And, but I think KPJ so far um, has been the most interesting Cavs rookie. He does, every time he's played... Um, comes off the bench, plays like 20 minutes a night. I feel like he does four to six things a game where I'm just like, Kevin Porter Jr. should not be able to do that yet. Um, he's got really good feel for the game. He's, you know, I think picked up defensive stuff better than I would have expected. He shoots well. He, he's got some some um, fluidity off the dribble. He's good off ball. There's like stuff with him that I'm just like, even if he doesn't become like a all-star or anything like that. I think he just looks like a really good rotation piece uh, going forward. He's just been really encouraging, been really fun. And I, I think the Cavs and both those guys should feel pretty good about those picks. Um, you know, And we'll see with Winler once he gets healthy, once he's able to go. Um, but I think they should feel, frankly, pretty happy with what Garland and KPJ have done so far. And I think particularly KPJ getting how good he's been um, so far at 19 years old, considering you know what he had at, um, you know, at, when he was in college, the struggles he had there, I think he's been so good. And I think it's continuing to just be a fun thing for him. I think it should only continue to get better for these guys going forward. Well, I am sure we will have you back on, Chris, when Kevin Love does eventually get traded. But if you want to hear all of the goings-on with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Chris can have that covered all for you over on Locked on Cavs. Chris, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Hey, as always, thanks for having me. We bring in now the host, or one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast, Josh Bass, is here with me. We have heard uh, from you, Josh, plenty recently, but uh, we just heard from Kyrie Irving, a guy that hasn't said anything for uh, months. What is the latest on Kyrie Irving's shoulder injury? Yeah, Josh, I, I wish it was uh, more upbeat news, but unfortunately, seems like there's still no progress. Um, you know, Kyrie has been out since November, uh, the November 14th game against Denver, he had the pain in his shoulder for about 10 days before that. And it's gotten to the point where he still feels a lot of soreness when he shoots. He can barely lift his shoulder um, up to, to shoot the ball, still not doing any contact. And, you know, they decided to go with uh, an additional quarter zone shot and see how his shoulder responds to that. But we all know that um, those quarter zone shots can only be very few and, and fleeting because it's going to cause a lot of long-term damage. And if it's not getting any better, you know, obviously no surgery right now, but that's going to be the only logical choice. And I think 
Um, unfortunately, the Nets fans haven't gotten a lot of transparency with this injury. Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks were kind of mum. So this update from Kyrie that we got yesterday is really kind of the only thing to hang our hat on right now, at least getting some clarity, even though it's not the news that we want. Teams in general are quite uh, hesitant to give specific timetables on injuries, and, and that's fair enough. I think that's the right thing to do in terms of not putting pressure on athletes to return uh, in circumstances where things may change. But the Nets are notoriously evasive in terms of saying anything or even like length of uh, injury or anything like that. Now, Karis LeVert, when you got something like a, a thumb injury, a surgery that they did get, there was some sort of information about that, but injuries like D'Angelo Russell and his knee a couple of years ago and now Kyrie with his shoulder, it's just on a day-by-day basis. And we're talking like it could be a four-month injury here for Irving and it's just continually been, oh, you know, he's just ruled out one day in advance and we don't hear anything. So getting that news from Irving was, uh, I guess, a relief, as you said, to hear something, but obviously not in a positive sense, uh, given the fact that we're still a, a way away. In terms of reevaluation or when we might hear something new, what's the sort of latest on that? What sort of a time frame is best case scenario here for Kyrie returning? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting because it's the type of thing that, hey, if his, if his shoulder responds well, then maybe he could be back in action in the next week or two. But that's just not going to happen is what it seems um, it, it looks pretty dire right now. He's going to get reevaluated in a month, a uh, month or two to see if surgery is going to be needed. And then from there, if they do decide to go that surgery route, it's a three or four month recovery. So there's a very realistic chance that we don't see Kyrie Irving again this year, considering that we're already in January uh, with this Nets team. It doesn't look like they're going to be much higher than a seven or eight seed, if that, um, considering how they've come back down to earth Without him, uh, the return of Karis LeVert could could be a nice boon uh, as he played well in the game against Toronto yesterday. But, you know, with Kyrie right now, I'd say optimistically, let's say a month goes by, he does feel better and can get, get back in game action. But I think most likely scenario is that it's going to be two months or longer. Yeah, that's what it seems like. It seems like any sort of return before the All-Star break would be a, uh, a significant um, surprise to see that sort mm-hmm. of thing happen. So we're about you know six, five, six weeks away from that sort of a, a time frame. Uh, I guess it helps that uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has been fantastic in carrying that load, but this uh, Irving situation, given he's had significant problems in the past with injury, is always a, a level of concern with him and his uh, and his health status, not, not to mention some of the... Uh, the uh, unfounded uh, locker room type reports that have come out at times, especially this season when uh, the Nets players have been very aggressive in refuting that sort of stuff that's come out about him. He is the, very much the target of, uh, of uh, I guess, unfounded attacks at, at times, which uh, does give him a, a level of sympathy. But I guess not many people share that opinion with me. But let's, let's talk about Levert, who did return after a significant uh, absence from that thumb surgery. I'm a little confused with how the Nets uh, are handling his return here, Josh. He, he came back on a minutes restriction, and now he's going to be resting Monday's game. Like, he had a thumb injury. Like, there's no thing that could have stopped him from doing cardio work or you know, maintaining a level of fitness. So why are we being so cautious in, in his return in terms of giving him a you know, the Monday off after playing 16 minutes only on Saturday you know, from this thumb? This is not a conditioning problem. This is not a wear and tear on your knees or ankles or anything like that. What, what, why are we resting him one game back after 16 minutes of action? Josh, your guess is as good as mine, unfortunately. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. As you mentioned, with a thumb injury, that those things should not happen at all. Um, it's really kind of mind-boggling at this point. But 
when you look at Karis LeVert, what he did yesterday, he did provide some nice um, offense for, for the Nets against the Raptors. It was a tough loss. They turned the ball over and looked sloppy, but his shot making was a big part of what they did. Five of seven from the floor, two of two from three, which is nice, and that's always been the big part of his game. That is a question mark, but um, when you have kind of a uh, thumb injury, you shouldn't be resting after that. You know, 16 minutes, especially considering they talked about how close he was the last week or two to coming back to game action. He should be able to come back with somewhat of a full workload. And I get you don't want to um, really give him a ton of minutes, maybe 30 plus even, because he's someone that has a huge track record of injuries, being lower body ones at that. So it's it's frustrating when you see it as a Nets fan because um, here's a guy that with this team right now, they're down on on guys that can put the ball in the basket and talented players. And if it's no Levert tomorrow, since he's ruled out, you have a lot of minutes to Theo Pinson, Timothy Luau, Cabarro, uh, Jana Musa, and there's not going to be good teams like that. So it's frustrating. I have no idea why they're going about it like this. Um, but that's what Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson and the performance team feels is best. They don't have a great track record of keeping guys healthy. So um, I'll, I'll reserve some doubt there, but that's the plan they're going with for now. Yeah, it must be yeah, frustrating for for Nets fans to just have these uh, you know, ups and downs in the play and the injuries after such a promising year last year. Um, what has been? Oh, actually, let's let's try this one. Do you think that Spencer Dinwiddie deserves an All Star appearance, or do you, or more to the to the pack? Do you think he'll get an All Star appearance? It's a good question. I think he definitely deserves it. Um, the what he's been able to do with this Nets team and getting them to a, a really good level of respectability, five-game losing streak notwithstanding. I mean, considering the, the lack of talent around him with Levert and Kyrie out, this is a barren, barren roster right now. Uh, the guys I mentioned, I mean, Garrett Temple was out a couple nights ago in the Mavericks against the Mavericks, and it was like a huge loss because they just don't have anyone that can even be a decent wing uh, as a backup. So what Dimity's been able to do, the numbers he's put up as a starter, I definitely think he should be an all-star and i think he will get there because i think he's warranted enough respect around the league he's probably going to be in competition with guys like bradley beal and trey young and even though those guys have better numbers the level of play the nets have been able to get to with dim with their lead guy i think will ultimately give him the edge over uh at least one of those guys to get him that all-star berth and he's going to be fighting um with maybe some of the indiana guys like uh sabonis or brogdon for those final wild card spots let's say all right, so it is going to be interesting to see exactly what happens with Irving. My faith in him returning this season is pretty low at this point, but the Nets are carrying on, trying to push into the playoffs with guys like Dinwiddie, like Jared Allen, and of course the return of Karis Levert, and Josh will have it all covered for us over on Locked On Nets. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure, Josh. Thanks for having me. Let's bring in now the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Philip Rossman. Reich is here to talk about this Magic team who currently sits in the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, but of course they've lost one of, if not their most important player, Jonathan Isaac, to a knee injury. Phil, can you elaborate on what the knee injury is that Isaac has suffered? Yeah, the, the Orlando Magic have officially diagnosed him with a posterior lateral corner injury and a medial bone contusion. The way The way it's been explained to me is it's not one of the major ligaments that you hear about. It's not the ACL, the MCL, the PCL, the kind of big ones that mean you're out for a really, really long time. It's one of those like interior ligaments inside the knee. Uh, and it's just a, it's just a, a, an injury. It's not uh, anything. It's not a tear as far as, as far as they've, they've discovered, but it is something that does take some time to heal. They've 
listed him as out indefinitely, and they'll reevaluate him in eight to 10 weeks. So we won't know very much about Jonathan Isaac until the end of February as far as whether he'll come back at all this season. Yeah, they, they did mention it was a severe sprain, which is some sort of tearing of the ligament as well, not a full full tear. And we're not talking all the way through like a complete snap, but there's some sort of tearing there. And I saw an article the other day from uh, Josh Robbins of The Athletic talking about how, you know, preparing for him just not to be back this season. Because I've been in discussions with people talking to me in my job analyzing fantasy buzz. was saying, oh, yeah, maybe it's just a bruise. It heals quicker and he's going to be back within, you know, six to eight weeks. I think it's more pushing the other direction from the reports that, that I have heard. And we may not see him. Look, maybe he comes back late mid to late March perhaps but to me it's looking more longer than short term yeah it, it definitely feels like it's a, it's a long-term injury I mean if, if people who, who followed the magic or, or certainly have Jonathan Isaac on their fantasy teams probably remember two years ago he sprained his ankle and missed 46 of 49 games for a stretch and really didn't play much his rookie year Jeff Weltman the magic's president of basketball operations when addressing the injury the day after it was officially diagnosed, said, you know how we work. We're going to be very patient with this. We we're worried more about his long-term future than him coming back and rushing back to play for a seventh or eighth seeded playoff team. They obviously still have kind of bigger visions for what his career and what this team can be. So it, I wouldn't bet on Isaac playing until March at the, at the earliest. Uh, and I certainly think it's very possible that, that we've seen the last of Jonathan Isaac this year as the magic focus on him strengthening, on recovering, and then strengthening and preparing for the rest of his career down the road. So what does that mean for this team now? We saw them starting one of these games, Ken Birch at power forward, pushing Aaron Gordon down to the three, which seemed like a silly move to me. But then they went back to Wes Wundu, who doesn't offer, no one offers what Isaac does, who was probably in line for an all-defensive team nod this season. So how do they keep themselves afloat? We've seen games where DJ Augustin steps up. We've seen Terrence Ross type try to step up. But there is just no replacing what, uh, what Isaac can do for this team. Can they stay afloat? Missing, again, one of their most important players. Yeah, I mean, certainly the, the, the ceiling, whatever it was, because obviously the Magic have gotten off to a, a much slower start than I think a lot of people uh, thought they would. Obviously, the ceiling now is, is significantly lower. I mean, the Magic are just hoping to scrape by and make the playoffs again. Um, they lose a guy that, you know, you talk about offensive playmakers, guys who can beat tough defenses. Jonathan Isaac was the Magic's defensive playmaker. He cleaned up a lot of mistakes and and so I think what the Magic really have to do is do something that they've kind of struggled with for much of the season, and that's play with a really focused and concerted effort. Um, I would argue that since Isaac went out playing against the Washington Wizards and against the Miami Eden, and even really for about three and a half quarters against the Utah Jazz on Saturday, the Magic have to play with a really kind of heightened defensive intensity and, and effort, and, and that's going to take a lot out of them. There's obviously a, a much smaller margin for error. Coach Steve Clifford's going to be mis mixing and matching lineups trying to figure out a way to make things work. As you mentioned, he started Ken Birch against the bigger Miami Heat, went with Wes Wendu against a smaller Utah Jazz, and he's been playing Birch and Bamba together a little bit uh, since Isaac came out. He's really trying to piece together a rotation, but this Magic team still believes they have enough to make the playoffs. They, they, they kind of showed this weekend that they can still play defense at a high level. It's, again, the question will be consistency, and the issue for this Magic team still comes down to whether they can make or miss shots. If, if they can make shots, they... They certainly do still have a chance, I think, to, to sneak in as that eight seed or, or, you know, as or maybe even sneak in as the seven seed. Once again, it's going to take another kind of focused, frenzied effort to, to kind of keep this team afloat. How has uh, Markel Fultz looked recently? Uh, I, you know, I would argue that Markel Fultz is hitting a little bit of a rookie wall. Um, you know, I think that we've I've kind of viewed this year for Fultz as essentially his rookie season. I mean, he's passed 
the 33-game mark. He played 33 games in his first two seasons with the 76ers. He's now played, uh, I believe, 34 or 35 games for the Magic so far this year. So he's kind of passed his previous benchmark, and he's still kind of in that realm of he's still learning how to play in the NBA. His shot, which was actually pretty good uh, for much of the much of the early part of the season, at least for mid-range, I'm not talking about his three-point shot, um, has started to falter a little bit, um, but his assist numbers are still very high. He still kind of gets the team gets the team into their pace, and, and and he's still really vital to what this team does. It's a little bit of a rookie wall right now, but but I think the Magic are still very encouraged by how he's played so far this season. Do you think he's still on any sort of minutes limit? Because he seems to be hovering around that twenty-eight minute mark with Augustin coming in. Or is there any thought that they'll start to push him into a into a larger role now? Um, you know, I, I don't know if, I, as far as what the coaches have said, he is not on any minutes restriction anymore. Um, he is he is playing this his full minutes, or at least what they're comfortable playing with him. I think they're they want to make sure they pace him again. They're they're kind of treating him like a rookie in a lot of ways. Um, they're playing him with DJ Augustine, who they still value a lot, and he still does a lot of really good things for for the team. But you know, I think one of the things that the Magic are going to have to do now that Jonathan Isaac is out is lean on a guy like Markel Fultz a little bit more and trust him to do a little bit more, especially on the defensive end, where he can be a little bit of a roamer and a little bit of a pest um, off the ball, trying to trying to go for steals and using his length there as well. Um, it, it's, it's, it's definitely still a balance for the Magic between developing young players like Markel Fultz, like Mo Bamba, and still putting out a lineup that they feel can win them basketball games because because this this team still views themselves as a playoff team. It seemed like overkill at the time to get El Farouk Aminu in free agency. And now with Isaac down, that would have been a perfect opportunity for him to perhaps step into that role. But he's dealing with his own injury. Um, he had a setback in as they tried to avoid surgery from the meniscus tear. Are we going to see him this season? You know, that part is still really unknown. Um, you know, I think with meniscus tears, they usually, I, I think the usual time period is, is somewhere between four to six weeks or six to eight weeks. And uh, a setback certainly kind of ex- elongates that time. It's, it's not particularly clear, even if the Magic are going to push to have him, to, or even if the Magic and Aminu are going to push to have surgery to, to, to repair this thing. And, and certainly that would keep him out longer. Um, it, it's just not clear where the Magic are out with at with Aminu right now. Um, another injury that they face that, that's been kind of quietly very big for them has been Michael Carter-Williams, who's oh, having yeah. a really nice season as well. He has an AC joint sprain in his right shoulder. Um, Steve Clifford said that, Steve Clifford said pretty recently that he's not close to coming back. So uh, I would expect the Magic to be looking at the 10-day 10 10 day, uh, contract market pretty soon here to add some depth because, you know, as as well as Ken Burch has played in his first three games at Power Forward, that is definitely not a fit for him. And, and I think Orlando is going to need to get some depth at that position for sure. Well, it's going to be interesting to see whether they can keep themselves afloat after losing Isaac and whether we actually see him back at all this season. Phil, you'll have it all covered for us over on Locked On Magic. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. No problem. Thanks for having me on as always. And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you never miss a show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And if you could give us a five-star review, that would be most appreciated. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.